So before I launch into my uh, weekly welcome to all of you, I have to point out the insidiousness of patriarchy. That song is entitled Busca el Amor, A-M-O-R, which means love, right? Seek out the love in you. What we have printed in our order of service, however, means look for the owner. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> you know, what's in a letter? But nonetheless, that was lovely, and thank you so much for, for uh, sharing that song. Buenos dias, familia. Buenos dias. I'm the Reverend Maria McCabe. My preferred pronouns are she and her. And while it is always a joy and a pleasure for me to be with you on a Sunday morning, this week it feels like a necessity. So I'm very, very grateful that we are all here together and that we can share perhaps the heaviness that is in the air in our world right now. Our theme for the month of September has been vision. And this morning, we are going to explore that part of vision which calls on us to bear witness, to see, and perhaps to hold in our hearts the suffering in our own experience and the suffering of others. So the invocation I'd like to share with you this morning comes from Margaret Wheatley. And it is called Turning to One Another. She says, there's no power greater than a community discovering what it cares about. Ask what's possible, not what's wrong. Keep asking. Notice what you care about. Assume that many others share your dreams. Be brave enough to start a conversation that matters. Talk to people you know. Talk to people you don't know. Talk to people you never talk to. Be intrigued by the differences you hear. Expect to be surprised. Treasure curiosity more than certainty. Invite in everybody who cares to work on what's possible. Acknowledge that everyone is an expert about something. Know that creative solutions come from new connections. Remember, you don't fear people whose story you know. Real listening always brings people together. Trust that meaningful conversations can change your world and rely on human goodness. Stay together. Vision is a choice. As we rekindle the flame of our faith, may we remember that vision is a choice. In every moment we look forward or behind to the hopeful horizon or the hard road at our feet. To those already in the circle or those who have been shut out, we return today to remember that we become the vision we embrace. May our time together help us choose wisely and with courage. Last October, the state of Maryland began requiring veterinarians who have a reason to believe that an animal, animal that they are treating has been subjected to cruelty or animal fighting 
they're required to report that to law enforcement. This is a requirement that veterinarians in many states um, have because animal abuse, cruelty, and neglect are acts often not isolated incidents, but linked to other forms of family violence. Being a small animal emergency veterinarian, my initial feelings were those of support. This stemmed from the fact that in the past, I questioned that if I reported such suspicions, whether they would be taken seriously, or whether the state even had the resources by which to process or investigate these instances. However, as I began talking to other doctors on our team, I realized there were many other aspects of this requirement that I had not considered. Many of my teammates felt guilty reporting possible abuse to an owner or about an owner or caretaker that brought a pet into our hospital for treatment. Some of their concerns stemmed from the fact that they thought if people knew that animal abuse could be reported that they wouldn't bring an animal in for treatment or that if a, an owner brought an animal and that wasn't the abuser, that it might lead to more abuse for that person. And then they were concerned that additionally, animals wouldn't get treatment then. Other doctors felt that the reporting was actually them saying that the incident was one of guilt and they didn't feel they were trained properly to make that call fully, as opposed to understanding that the reporting was just one to start an investigation. And last, they had concerns about their own safety and the need to possibly miss work, how they supported their families to go to court and act as a witness. During these discussions and the examples that came from them, I could connect with many of their points and mandatory reporting became more of a gray zone for me and less of a feeling of progress and protection that I initially felt so clearly. Fortunately, the confusion about the how to report and who to report to um, and the fact that the veterinarians shared their concerns led to education. And many events were held that hosted a forensic veterinarian, which is a subset of the profession uh, where they kind of link evidence of the types of trauma patients have to help differentiate um, accidents from intended trauma. Um, and representatives from the state came to speak regarding all of these concerns. They worked tirelessly to make sure those that attended understood how reporting not only helped the animals we love so much, but also fulfill the aspects of our veterinary oath regarding the promotion of public health. Attending these events, coupled with the, animal, the annual Animal Abuse Summit, which is held every November, brought me back to my initial overwhelming feelings of support and vision that this was a way veterinarians could be more able to affect change in the lives of pets and their caretakers. So now it's been almost exactly a year, tomorrow will be October 1st, and we're in the thick of reporting, and most of the veterinarians at my hospital are convinced that this has made a difference. There are many more cases that have been reported than we ever believed would, would happen. And due to the incredible efforts of the investigators, not only have animals, the animals we treated benefit, but almost each aspect of linked family violence has been uncovered to assist and get help to those that need it. One case we had this year involved two huge athletic men and two petite women with marks on their arm that led the team to believe they were under the influence. 
and they were certainly acting as such. They were sort of staggering around the office. They brought in a nine-week-old Yorkie puppy that they said they accidentally stepped on, which would be believable. Little puppies get under your feet, and if you are not walking straight, that can happen. However, when we examined the puppy, it did not have signs consistent with being stepped on. And on further examination, our staff found other changes that showed it clearly had suffered previous abuse. The nursing team described the women as being very subservient to the men and not allowed to speak. In general, the group was acting very unusual and would go in and out of the hospital to their car very frequently. During the time the puppy was being evaluated, the team called to seek advice from the animal abuse investigator and contact our hospital administrator who offered that if there was any way they could get a picture of the car without putting themselves in jeopardy, they, she thought it would be useful. So they went out, pretended to be smoking, took selfies of the license plate. Um, their quick action was very helpful as the caretakers abandoned the puppy and fled the scene. When the authorities did show up, the information we were able to give them with the car tags helped them identify that the car was stolen. They were able to find the car and they were able to rehome the puppy. While they could not prove that there was any current abuse on the puppy that presented, we suspect that the owners brought this puppy to numerous veterinary ERs for pain medications based on the previous trauma. Because of efforts reporting this, we were given loose information applauding our efforts because one of the girls may have been a missing persons. They also gave us feedback that our, the area of the hospital in is close to multiple universities and colleges and with the prevalence of opioid abuse, we're in a hotbed for trafficking. Animal abuse is the easiest way for authorities to go on an investigative check to a residence without any reports of domestic abuse. The veterinary model has previously been, well, they brought it in for care, and for that reason, all accountability was dismissed, but not anymore. As sad as the situation is, I am proud that our work in veterinary medicine and love of animals can lead to an even greater impact on human relations than solely animal health. I printed some information on the National Link Coalition and placed it on the table in the lobby for those interested in learning more about the connection between animal and family abuse. Oh, you're not done. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just kidding. Oh, that's right. Thank you. To those of you who applauded, thank you, Tanya. I, I would like all of you to join Tanya and I as we share a litany for <clears throat> sufferers of domestic abuse. Each of us is going to read a prayer and at the end of that, we will ask you to join with us and say together, may we reach out in honesty and love. Just repeat it with me. May we reach out in honesty and love. In the spirit of love, harmony, and remembrance, we stand too often divided, too often set apart from one another in heedless ways. We seek to be compassionate, but our vision may be clouded or distracted. We go forward day by day and look without seeing. May we, we reach, reach out in honesty and love. May we work to heal the divisions which separates Earth's children, one from another. May we peer through the mists of deception, which hide and deny violence, mists enclosing those who suffer. 
May we not allow the misuse of our fellow souls to hide in broad daylight. May we we reach reach out out in honesty honesty and love. When we see the afflicted, may we not shrink away. May we not blame suffering on those who suffer. May we be courageous enough to perceive suffering and compassionate enough to attend to the voices of those who suffer. May May we we reach reach out in in honesty and love. When we see prejudice, when we hear evil speaking, when we witness the rough hand or the saving word laid upon helplessness or innocent, may we resolve to work toward unity and justice. May May we we reach out in in honesty and and love. May we not turn away from the wounded head of the abused. May we not accept the twisted reasoning by which the oppressor declares himself the victim. May we reach out in honesty and and love. Let our gratitude for good fortune in our lives lead us not to complacency, but to awareness. Awareness of those whose lives are shadowed by abuse or neglect. May we not ignore signs of deceit or denial that hide brutality. May we reach reach out in honesty and love. And finally, in all things, may those who suffer ever be able to approach us. Find a kindly ear and supporting hand. May we witness for love and justice at every level of relationship. May we nurture a keen eye and a strong and loving heart. May we reach out in honesty and love. They were in their late 80s, a husband and wife in a hospital room. He was actively dying. She was by his side as she had been for the last several days. Look at them. Look at how cute they are, said the staff and the nurses. They had been together for over 60 years, and here in these last moments, they were living out their vows to one another. My friend, their chaplain, accompanied them in this time. And when it came to that moment when the husband breathed his last and transitioned to whatever plane of existence comes next, the chaplain did what chaplains do and said, would you like to have a moment of privacy with him? And the wife said, yes. So the chaplain left the room and closed the door and stayed close, not necessarily to overhear, but simply to make sure that they had their privacy. And this is what my friend, the chaplain, heard. You will never hurt me again, you son of a bitch. We don't know, do we? We don't know. We can't tell. It's not always visible from the outside what may be happening in an intimate relationship. 
And just because we may have been together for six decades or more doesn't really mean that there hasn't been pain or discomfort or even abuse. This morning, some of you, like me, may be feeling a sense of real heaviness. And if I could, I would relieve all of you of that. I would relieve all of us of ever having to feel that heaviness again. But as someone mentioned, and it is so true, trauma, once it has been experienced, it stays in our bodies. It stays inside of us. You know how sometimes ivy grows up a wall and then gets into the wall, and, and then after a point of time, the ivy and the wall no longer stay, can no longer exist without one another. That is the way trauma works. Whether we experience it as a very young child or whether we experience it as an adult, it doesn't go away. We've been talking about vision, and uh, last week we, we touched on some of the, the characteristics of patriarchy. But in the coming weeks, we will talk about sanctuary. We will talk about that idea of a, of a safe place, a place where community, where perhaps even religion holds us in a loving and safe embrace. But you and I know that while many of us, perhaps when we close the door behind us as we come into our home, we breathe a sigh of relief and reach for the chocolate or the cocktail or whatever it is we use to help us relax. But for those of us who have experienced trauma, closing that door may be the beginning of a nightmare. I want to say to each and every one of us in this room whose experience of pain has been re-triggered by the events of this week, I want to say to you that I see you. I believe you. I hear you. And while no community is perfect. This community openly and intentionally strives to hold one another in love, to hold one another in compassion and to listen to one another. And not only is my door open, but my door is open to connect any of you and all of you to a broad network of loving, competent, and present resources and human beings who are dedicated to healing and dedicated to empowering. I feel like I could stand here and repeat that 10 times, and that might be good enough, huh? Before I go further, 
I'd like to invite all of you to turn to the people around you and say, you are not alone. We are in this together. Will you do that? You are not alone. We are in this together. Remember this moment. Remember saying these words. Remember hearing these words. Because the time may come when they will save your life. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating, beloved. A time may come when hearing these words or saying these words will save a life. If you are like me, perhaps you are not only carrying heaviness, but anger, sadness, that sense of powerlessness, that sense of powerlessness in the face of something that is so big, the desire perhaps to deny and to push it away because it's so big, and so hard to hold. And with everything in my heart, I ask you, please, just for these moments this morning, allow yourselves to feel and to hold. Because we'll get to the empowerment. We'll get there together. And we'll get to the affirming of one another. But sometimes we have to lament first Sometimes we have to hold that space. You ready? We have heard all this week, we have heard all the ways in which I can only call it patriarchy teaches us to blame and shame survivors of abuse. What were you wearing? Why were you there? What did you do to provoke this? Why didn't you leave? Why didn't you say anything? You have to convince me that what you're trying to tell me is true. And in order to convince me, I will need to ask you to replay your experience in front of me so that I can judge whether or not you're believable. Now, I may ask you to do that. That doesn't mean that I'm going to do anything about it because at the end of the day, I don't like to share power. And it gets worse. We are taught and sometimes we are quite willing to say things like, well, God wants you to suffer. How often have you heard quoted the scripture wrongly attributed to Paul, wives, submit to your husbands. Slaves, submit to your masters. How long? How often have you heard it said that our suffering somehow ennobles us and 
opens the gates to heaven even wider. These are wrong teachings, dear ones. These are wrong, but, but we do carry them inside, don't we? Just like that ivy that won't let go of the wall it's clinging to. Domestic violence or intimate partner violence is a pattern of control. It's a behavior designed to exercise control over another human being. It is not, oh, I get a little bit carried away when you tick me off and ask me one too many times to do whatever. Take out the trash, put away my shoes, fill in the blank. It is not only a power, a, a behavior that's designed to exercise control, it is a behavior that is progressive. So it might start with, you're ugly. You don't know how to cook. Everything you do is wrong. And it progresses. Unfortunately, it is something that over time can become increasingly more violent and destructive. And while it's really difficult to know how prevalent this is, because for obvious reasons, many of us don't want to report it, I will just briefly share some things, some statistics for us to think about. One in every three women worldwide. One in every three. One in every five female high school students reports physical or sexual abuse at the hands of a dating partner. And while it's not exclusively a crime against women, it is primarily. This year and every year, there are roughly 5.9 million assaults against women in the United States. 76% of those assaults are committed by domestic intimate partners. I want to give us a moment to let this sink in because I know it is heavy. It is very, very heavy. And as someone has already said this morning, it is easier sometimes to push it out. If we accept for a moment even if only for a moment, that for many of us, our life experience is that there is not a place that feels safe. What does that call us to do? Well, first, it calls us to believe and to know that women who have endured abuse or intimate partner violence can and very frequently do move through that experience. While that unwelcome guest will always remain in some fashion, survivors are often the most resilient and creative and kind human beings in our midst. Because when you've survived, 
you know how precious life is. And when you've survived, you know you have a gift of compassion and understanding that you can share that not everybody else has. I learned early in my work as an advocate that the word victim was charged. Because while it's true that something happens that we have no control over and that we did not cause, the word victim implies that we will never have agency again. And that is not true. Not everyone survives. We know this. But many do. So first, as I said, it calls us, knowing this calls us into a mindset of empowerment. Second, it calls us to listen and to hear. It calls us, hopefully, not to say things like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It calls us perhaps not to say things like everything happens for a reason, although that may be your belief, and I do not belittle that. It calls us to put the needs of the survivor first. So while we might have a need to fix or to make it go away, or to comfort that person or to help that person forget what happened, we must be guided by the need of the person in front of us. And if they are honoring us with their story, what they need is to be heard and to be asked, how can I help? What support can I offer? I'm so sorry this happened to you. Would you like to tell me about it? I'm scared of this microphone. <laughs> it calls us to remember that being vulnerable does not mean being weak. That being vulnerable in a patriarchal system is not our fault. Being vulnerable means we are susceptible to attack, but it doesn't mean we're weak. So don't confuse vulnerability with weakness. It calls us to renew our commitment to living and acting from the side of love. Not one person here has the right to judge someone else's situation. We simply don't. We haven't lived it. But we can always be present from a place of love and commitment to one another. We can renew our commitment over and over again to healing our own hurts and the hurts of others. 
It is never too late to say, I'm sorry. It is never too late to say, you will never hurt me again, you son of a bitch. It is never too late to say, I hear you. I believe you. How can I support you in your healing? Bearing witness, dear ones, perhaps not always silent, but bearing witness is what we are called to do. Because when we speak our truth or we allow someone else to speak theirs, even if there are tears rolling down our cheeks and our hands are trembling and we can't get our words out, we are owning our power. And when we allow someone else to do that, we are sharing power with that person too. Amen, dear ones. Ashe and blessed.